Hello and welcome to the Psych Summaries podcast. My name is Hannah and I will be having conversations with clinicians, academics and experts that have applications to the field of psychology and mental health. They have many years of experience, meaning they are trusted voices in niche subjects. But I invite you to consume the content with a critical perspective, since a one-size-fits-all approach rarely applies to mental health. I hope you learn something and enjoy listening. Today I am chatting to the absolutely divine Dr. Sophie Mort and I pick her brains on all things anxiety. Sophie is a registered clinical psychologist who offers one-on-one online therapy and coaching to support on a variety of things such as low self-esteem, low mood, anxiety and much, much more. Sophie's energy is magnetic and she is a fountain of knowledge. I really, really hope that you enjoy listening. Can we start with an introduction to yourself and hear about how you got to where you are today? So I'm Dr. Soph. (laughs) I always feel really weird introducing myself with my own name. So Sophie's fine. I'm a clinical psychologist and I am working to get psychology out of the therapy room and into people's lives in a way that makes sense. So this means I have an undergraduate in psychology, a master's in neuroscience and a doctorate in clinical psychology. I think I'm meant to say that, you know, I always wanted to help people. And whilst I do really enjoy helping people, that isn't my route or wasn't my route to psychology. The reality is that at 18 years old, I started having panic attacks. They came out of the blue and absolutely terrified me I mean I didn't know anyone who'd experienced anxiety I didn't have anyone around me talking about mental health emotional well-being and certainly not in a positive light the only information I had about emotional health and mental health was from tv news and movies where pretty much anyone who wasn't happy and successful was constructed as mad or bad or dangerous or losing their mind or their world was over So when I started having panic attacks, I didn't know where to turn. I thought my life was over, actually. And I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but it makes you feel like you're losing your mind or you're going to have a heart attack. And I remember telling people, there's very few people I told at first, and they looked at me like I was losing my mind. So long story short, I started having panic attacks. I ended up seeing a therapist after first going to my GP who just told me I was depressed and gave me medication which did not work for me whatsoever made my panic attacks much worse so I saw a therapist she was like you're not depressed you're having panic attacks here's what's going on and within two sessions of seeing her I understood what panic was and I knew how to manage it and from that moment onwards don't get me wrong I didn't get over it in two sessions but from that moment onwards I suppose I really cared about psychology. I thought it was outrageous that we often wait until we're really struggling to find out the information that could have been provided much earlier and helped us manage our struggles before they started. And so I decided to, I suppose, devote my time to learning as much as I could about psychology. (laughs) And the moment I finished studying, I decided to try and get that information out into the public domain So that, as I said, people don't have to wait until they feel like they're at rock bottom to get the information that they deserve. I think that's incredible. 
so many people that study psychology do it because they have had some kind of personal experience haven't they because they're intrigued by it and yeah like either themselves or a family member someone they know absolutely yeah I mean I struggled with panic attacks at university and they are so debilitating it's very real so very real and I'm in my 30s now and I was 18 when it happened I do think now anxiety attacks are much more in the public domain but I do still hear people say like oh it's only anxiety why don't people pull themselves together unless you've had a panic attack you can't possibly understand how terrifying it is so it's really important that we're talking about this today I think yeah and I think that that's a distinction I always like to make as well because obviously anxiety has a negative connotation but really it has a role and I do want to ask about that and Panic and anxiety, they are together, but they aren't necessarily the same. The difference between the two is really around severity of symptoms and the suddenness of onset. Okay, so on our, if we were imagine a continuum, we might have mild stress at the beginning, which turns into anxiety and worry, and we might put panic at the other end. Okay, so anxiety is the physical and the emotional manifestation of worry and symptoms of worry. And we feel it in our body and in our mind. Anxiety can be low level, moderate or extreme, and it tends to build up gradually. So if you're feeling anxious, you might notice a little bit of tension in your body. You might be worried about what's going to happen next. It might build to the point where you're lying in bed awake at night, not sleeping. You might struggle with eating because you're just not hungry or feel a bit sick. If you have a panic attack, it tends to come on suddenly and it tends to be extremely disruptive. So when you have extreme anxiety, it's closer to panic. It's just panic is this very fast fight or flight orientated experience as you've slipped out of your kind of rest and digest calm mode and your brain has taken over and you're in full panic mode. But like you say, we're going to explain that in more detail, what is fight or flight, I'm sure, later on. But you're right, it does have a role. So anxiety is a normal experience. Whether people admit it or not, everyone has experienced anxiety at some time in their life. And anxiety is extremely useful because it helps us recognize danger in our environment and therefore hopefully helps us avoid danger. So, for example, anxiety is something most of us hate, but without it, our species wouldn't be alive. So let's go back many millennia, because we humans have evolved to be anxious. Okay, so let's go back to kind of cave times. So imagine you and I are cave people and we're sitting around and suddenly we hear, I don't know, a twig snap in a bush nearby. Or we hear something that sounds like it could be a tiger. Now, it wouldn't be very useful if you and I sat there going, do you think, do you think that twig noise was something we should worry about? Does that sound like a tiger? To make us safe, our brain just does these things for us automatically. So you and I, we're sitting around our campfire, we hear something, suddenly our body and our brain responds. Right, what happens? We slip into fight or flight. There's also fight, flight, freeze, fawn, but we're just going to talk about fight or flight here. So your heart starts to race. It starts to pump more quickly. Your breathing changes as you start to breathe more quickly. Now, the reason for this is if a tiger does emerge from the bush, 
you and I need to be ready to spring into action. We're either going to run for our lives or we're going to fight our way through that tiger. The faster our heart races and the quicker we breathe, the more energy we have for the muscles that we will need to act. Okay, so our heart starts to race. We start to breathe more quickly. The energy is sent to your arms and your legs, so your muscles tense. So again, we would be preparing to fight or run. Now, our thinking would change as well. We might have been talking, I don't know, about the delightful things we saw on the hunt today. (laughs) But suddenly our brain has switched into one thing, and that is survival. It's running through everything that could go wrong, so every danger that could be around us. And it's running through old scenarios like this one where we've survived and escaped. Because it's obviously rifling through its memory drawers going, hmm, does this help? Last time we ran out through the back door or we ran out behind the fire. Can we do that this time? So we've got all these physical and cognitive changes happening. Now, if something comes out of the bushes, you and I will jump up, run or fight. Yeah, so anxiety, you can see changes our body, changes our thinking in order to predict threat and escape it. Now, here is the problem. You and I are many, many millennia later. The world is different. I'm not worried that a tiger is gonna burst through my door right now. However, I have pretty much the same anxiety system. I still have the fight or flight response. And here's the real kicker. Our fight or flight response responds to anything we perceive to be threat. So for example, my heart might start to race in a situation where I'm not gonna die. Before coming on this call, I was thinking about this podcast. My heart started to race because my brain was like, imagine if I say something embarrassing or do something wrong, yes? So we're modern humans with an ancient system that is activated anytime we believe we're under threat. So what helped you and I run from danger means that many of us, when we think about something stressful, when we have an upcoming deadline, when we think about anxiety, our fight or flight switches on, our heart starts to race, our muscles go tense, all sorts of other weird and wonderful things happen. For example, did you know an efficient machine is a cool machine? So this means when your fight or flight switches on, your body starts to sweat. It's trying to cool you down rapidly so that you will be efficient in times of danger. So say, for example, I was thinking about this podcast. My heart starts to race. My muscles get tensed. I start to get clammy. My brain then isn't helping me. It's going, ooh, what could possibly go wrong during this podcast? What's gone wrong in the past? It's trying to help me, but instead it's just reminding me of all my past mistakes. Then, because we don't need our stomach and we don't need our bladder or our external sphincter, (laughs) then when we're really in a state of fight or flight, blood leaves those areas to go to the areas that are needed. So, for example, blood goes from your stomach to your limbs so that you can fight. This is why we experience butterflies and also why you might suddenly need a wee when you're feeling anxious. (laughs) Now, the thing is, not only does this happen to us, when we're not actually in danger. The reality is because few people understand anxiety, they don't realize that the way to shut off a fight or flight response is by taking action. Think about our ancestors, tiger comes out of the wood, we jump up, we fight, we run. Instead, you or I might be stressing about something at work, feel all these fight or flight symptoms, and instead go, oh no, 
and start tensing even further and sitting worrying in a corner. The fight or flight doesn't switch off. We really need to jump up, spring into action, get our heart racing and close the fight or flight loop. So when someone's in that state, it would help them to stand up and move around. Is that something yeah. that would be helpful for got a job interview or something if you're just really active? Yeah, yeah. 100%. So if you're feeling just a bit stressed, you maybe don't need to take fast physical action. You probably need to breathe and bring your shoulders up to your ears and then let them drop on an exhale. Unstick your tongue from the roof of your mouth. Relax your face. I had an interview last year, for example, and I could really feel the symptoms coming on. So I locked myself in the bathroom and did 10 star jumps. <laughs> and I know it sounds silly, but um, and it's really fun, actually. Whenever I do a workshop about anxiety, I get everyone to stand up and do star jumps with me. And it really works. Star jumps not only are kind of hilarious, which means it totally resets the way that we're thinking. That fast physical movement gets your heart rate really going and therefore starts to shut off the fight or flight process. Sometimes people find that if they're kind of on the verge of a panic attack or if they're feeling really anxious, they will go for a run. So you can do exercise in the moment to calm yourself. And the more you exercise, the more likely it is that you're going to be calm in the long run anyway, because it's really good for your mental health. It burns off stress hormones and increases endorphins. Those are the feel-good chemicals. And what about breathing? Breathing is, um, I would actually say, it's interesting, right? I don't want to say which one is most important. The reality is if you're going into a meeting, you're unlikely to be able to go for a run around the block. <laughs> so I actually put breathing at the top of the list. Okay, so I'm really glad you brought breathing up because breathing is mm, perhaps the most important thing for managing anxiety, perhaps something that we think should be simple and is incredibly hard. The reality is, if you've ever experienced a panic attack, you know that trying to do a breathing exercise, if you haven't already practiced it so many times, it's a habit for you, it's almost impossible. So I would say anyone listening to this, whether you've experienced a panic attack or not, if you are a human who experiences stress, getting a trusty breathing exercise under your belt is the way forwards because you will be so grateful in your time of need when it comes to you without thinking. And I think, as you said, when you're in that moment, when you're about to have a panic attack, you mm. feel like you can't breathe, right? And yeah. I've already got too much oxygen. So actually it's mm. that you need to breathe out for longer. You just nailed something. So when I see people for anxiety or panic, they understandably interpret their experiences as a sign that they cannot breathe and that they are suffocating or having a heart attack. I say understandably because Let's go back to the physical experiences of fight or flight. When your fight or flight is activated, your heart starts to beat faster and your muscles tense. So when you're having a panic attack or you're extremely anxious, it can feel like your heart is hammering in your chest, but your chest is squeezing down on your heart. All it is, is your body is preparing you to fight or run so that your arms can extend out for a punch, for example, and getting the oxygen in. It is not that you're suffocating. 
And it's really important that we state this because a breathing exercise does the exact opposite of what most people who are having a panic attack think they need to do. Most people who are panicking think, I need more oxygen. The faster you take in oxygen during a panic attack, the more likely you are to keep the panic attack alive. I remember, honestly, as an 18-year-old, being like, I need more air, and just making it much, much worse without having a clue. Yeah. So, yeah, the real key to a breathing exercise is slowing the process down, sending your breath down into the lower part of your lungs rather than up into your chest, which is where most of us breathe when we're stressed. Inhaling through the nose, which minimizes or stops us from gulping air down. Exhaling through the mouth, almost as if we're blowing through a straw and counting. Mm. So I prefer to breathe in for four, hold for one, out for six, hold for one. However, for anyone listening to this as well who is new to this, that is a lot of information to take in. <laughs> so either go on Spotify, look for a breathing exercise, or even to drsof.com, my trusty website that has audios on this. <laughs> Something that can be really simple is to imagine a box. So you breathe, for example, you can breathe in for four, out for four, in for four, out for four. And as you're doing it, you're imagining you're breathing along the sides of a box. Each breath is the same length as the one before. I like that because it provides something visual as well, doesn't it? And yes. in those moments, you're looking for something to stop your brain from catastrophizing everything. So yes. it helps to really bring yourself back. And it is so difficult when you are in that moment. Like it is yeah. so difficult. So that's why it's so important. <laughs> you have to practice it before. In, in an inpatient setting, they'll do ice dives and things, which is- Oh amazing. yes, amazing, oh my God. But yeah. again, you can't, if you're having panic attack, you can't go and get that ice dive for you necessarily. Yes. You, you have to you have to really practice and know, right, go straight to the sink, splash, yes. splash your face. You know, it, it's all practice. If you aren't someone that experiences that, you could be someone that does. So it's helpful for anybody anyway. Yes. 100%. Yeah. And there's two things I'd say about that. So one is practice these breathing exercises when calm, recognize that when you're calm, however, you might think, I don't want to practice the breathing exercise because I feel good right now. And that reminds me of feeling bad. Recognize those moments and decide to do the breathing exercise anyway. You will be so grateful in your time of need. The more you practice the breathing exercise, the more likely it is that in the moment, it will just come to you. Don't be afraid to do an audio and don't be afraid to do it with someone you trust. So for example, I remember when I was 18 and I finally understood panic attacks, there were specific people who knew how to do the counting. So when I was starting to escalate, they would breathe with me because humans co-regulate, right? We, we, it's so interesting how when we're around other people, our heart rate starts to sync with theirs. And you can use that to your advantage. If you start to feel anxious, someone else can do the counting. Someone else breathes in for four. They hold for one, breathe out for six, hold for one. You will naturally feel more calm. And the second thing I was going to say, though, is you mentioned ice dives. Now, I wondered if the listeners might want to know a little bit about this, because what we know is a really, really fast way to stop a panic attack in its tracks 
is to submerge your face in ice water. <laughs> I'm probably you're thinking, what am I having a panic attack? I already feel bad. I don't want to put my face in ice. <laughs> but it is worth it. And there is a reason for it. And that is the mammalian dive reflex. It's so cool. Basically, certain mammals, when they dive underwater, their body reacts in a way that means that they can survive underwater for longer. And that means that you and I, when cold water covers our eyes and our nostrils, I think maybe even just our nostrils and our mouth, when ice water covers those breathing orifices, I think is the word, everything in our body shifts. And suddenly our heart rate drops dramatically, as does our breathing rate. So if you're panicking, get a bucket or a basin or the sink, fill it with water, put some ice in it, hold your breath <laughs> and dip your face under the water. 10 seconds if you want to come back up, see how you're feeling, go again. It sounds unpleasant, but it's remarkable. It's just physically brings you back, doesn't it? It, it yes. senses overwhelm you more so than the panic that you are experiencing. So we've talked about anxiety and particularly high levels of anxiety. And I really wanted to pick your brain while I have you on kind of lower levels of anxiety that a lot of people might be feeling right now because of COVID. So firstly, how do we know if we're anxious, i.e. do we become irritable or do we find it hard to sleep? And you mentioned eating earlier. And what we can do for ourselves if we might be feeling just slightly anxious, not to the point where you can't go to the shops or you can't get on a bus, but if, yeah. if you're constantly thinking you're overwhelmed by the media and you're lacking social support, particularly in the face of the rules yeah. relaxing, what advice yeah. can we give to those people to try and help them understand what's going on and to support them in that? Yeah, 100%. So the first bit was, how do you identify if you're feeling anxious? Um, so it's, it is quite difficult answering this question because I do think we use the words nervousness, afraid, anxious, uncertain, interchangeably. So, hmm, okay. So anxiety is basically something that arises in the face of any kind of uncertainty or threat. So I would say that almost all of us since lockdown has happened have experienced anxiety at some point. The specific symptoms that we associate with anxiety will differ for each of us. For example, I've done so much work on breathing exercises and on anxiety because I used to have panic attacks that now I don't, when I'm anxious, really have the thoughts. I don't really have the, oh my God, what if thoughts? Because when I have thoughts like that, I go, well, I'll just find a way through it. <laughs> so for me, I know that anxiety is present because I stop sleeping. So, okay, some of the telltale signs to look for is this kind of tension in the chest, pain in your shoulders and your neck, because as I said, muscle tension happens and most of us don't realize we're stressed out until our shoulders are in our ears and we're in a little bit of pain. Worrying thoughts, but to the point where you're not just mildly irritated by them. I'd say it's anxiety when you're worrying about the future quite a lot. If you notice that it's hard for you to eat or you feel a bit nauseous when you're thinking about eating, if you notice that sleep is difficult, Anxiety covers a 
lot of different experiences. It doesn't mean you should worry, though. I think you're asking about low-level symptoms and what people should do. I think the first thing is don't panic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because actually understanding that stress and anxiety is a normal part of being human and is your body preparing you to fight or run for your life is enough for most people to support themselves going forwards. Okay, so first thing is, are you feeling stressed and anxious? Probably. Because <laughs> yeah. it's COVID. So what should you do? I think for most of us, routine is a really good answer. The last year has been chaotic. Absolute chaos. The country's opening up, the country's closing down. We're opening up to this level. No, this part of the country's going into lockdown. So creating your own personal routines that work for you. For me, that involves mindfulness exercises. We know that mindfulness helps decrease the stress response as well as do other miraculous things if you practice it regularly. For me, it includes mindfulness and journaling. Journaling has the most ridiculous outcomes. I don't know if you know this. No, I've always wanted to journal. I've never done it because I've... To be honest, I'm pessimistic about it. I just oh think- my god, of course you're pessimistic. How how possibly can just sitting and writing down on a page how you feel make a difference? It is honestly the thing that we probably all should be doing and that we're not doing for the exact reason you're saying. So evidence shows that if you free write for 15 minutes a day, even just for four days in a row, uh, the outcomes include better physical health, improved outcomes for diabetes, asthma, fewer trips to the doctor fewer trips to the doctor it's honestly it's wild it's wild journaling for 15 minutes a day has the most unbelievable biological outcomes we don't know exactly what the mechanism is some of the things we think are happening is it's just it is good to get your stress out on the page so it decreases stress which obviously decreases the stress hormones in your body Another thing is that we think that um, it helps you make sense of your experiences. Now, a lot of us feel like we're walking around almost like we've got cotton wool in our mind, all our emotion and our experiences are jumbled up. When we journal, when we free write, it's almost like untangling all of that wool, making sense of our story. And we know that when people can make a coherent narrative, so a story that makes sense about themselves, stress levels go down and the likelihood of any kind of emotional relapse decreases. So routine, put in the things that you know work for you. For me, it's mindfulness, journaling, and exercise, which we know increases endorphins and breaks down stress hormones. The next thing is connect to the people that you trust, that you know and love. I'm hopeful that most people nowadays have friends that they're able to say, look, I'm really struggling. I'm feeling anxious or just a little bit stressed. When you do this, when you connect, oxytocin goes up. So these are other kind of chemicals in our body that feel good. But more than that, when we connect to other people, we often give them the opportunity to say, oh, my God, I feel like that too. I don't know about you, but most people, when they're stressed, end up beating themselves up for feeling stressed. (laughs) So when we start talking about it, we automatically feel better. But you talked about something very, very interesting. You talked about stressors, okay? For most of us, we don't feel anxious for no reason. We feel anxious because there are stressful things happening in our lives. 
COVID is a really good example of it. If you can identify the thing that is stressing you out, you can then find ways to hopefully change that thing that's stressing you out. Maybe you're feeling lonely. What we know, for example, is humans are meant to exist within groups. When you feel lonely, your body goes into a fight or flight response and it's meant to signal to you, get back to the group. People who feel lonely struggle with sleeping because again, a lonely ancestor might've been in danger. They would have had to keep waking up frequently to check if they're okay. So if you're feeling lonely and that is the source of your anxiety, this is a time to, for example, go on meetup.com and arrange to be part of a group or reach out to your friends. If you're worried about finances, what can you do today to help you make sense of how you're gonna pay off your debts, for example, or get more money? Identify the thing that is stressing you out, try and find a way to manage it, and then in your daily routines, incorporate lots of well-researched coping skills. Yeah, and I love that you've actually provided some evidence about journaling because I think that's probably why I was pessimistic. I just kind of thought, yeah. oh, I need to say do it, but actually hearing that there's genuine benefits of it. I also like that you said free write rather than yes. buy a journal, which is really rigid and you have to fill up this much space. Social support is going to help you then mm. un pick those stresses if it feels kind of overwhelming because sometimes we don't know that there's something that's weighing so heavily on us it's obvious that we've all got covid but there will be mm -hmm. you know potentially things going on in friendships that you mm -hmm. might not even be aware of things that trigger you on social media our lives have been totally disrupted it's not just our friends that we're not seeing it's all of that normal routine support that we get you know i used to kind of get up in the morning and go to my local coffee shop and even just that interaction, like, firstly, I'd have to make an effort to get dressed. Whereas when you work from home, you're basically, you can't see me right now, but I basically have nothing on my bottom half, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly, exactly. So I used to get up, walk out of my house, go and say hi to the, the barista. Be like, hi, Sophie, how are you? We'd have a little chat. Then I'd go to work. Everything about that signaled to my brain, for example, it's the start of the day. People care about you. You're going to get that yummy hit of coffee. And then I'd see my friends after work. There are so many different routines that used to keep our mind feeling healthy, strong, resilient, worthwhile that are now missing. And that's why I mentioned routine. At the beginning of COVID, I perhaps wouldn't have mentioned routine because I think a lot of us were so overwhelmed that then we felt like we were under pressure to create routines. <laughs> and then we felt like we were failing because we couldn't do that. Now we're kind of coming back. Well, we're opening up, right? We're coming out of lockdown-ish. Now is the time to decide what you want your future life to look like and get those solid coping skills in now before, I mean, who knows if this is going to happen, but before life gets busy again. Yeah, and it has to be right for you as well, doesn't it? I'm glad that you didn't do that because sometimes you, you go on social media and there's a pressure and you think, oh, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. I'm just literally coping yeah I'm surviving yeah yeah and it's really important that you acknowledge that that everyone was struggling rather than saying oh well you feel bad but I'm going to make you feel even worse because this is what you yeah. yeah and also hilariously I mentioned the routines that I do I don't do them every day like I in my mind know that for me to feel good journaling mindfulness and exercise are my key ingredients but to be honest, what I have is a list. Those are my three things. And as long as every day I do one of those, 
at the weekend I get a free pass as long as every day I do one of those things that's enough right I've noticed that people who are trying to work on their emotional well-being often end up being burnt out by the things they're trying to do to feel better like oh my god I didn't do mindfulness today that means I've lost my streak oh now I'm failing I may as well give up or I've got to get home to do this thing these coping skills are meant to be complementary (laughs) to our life to help us so when I say put routines in, I don't mean get up at six and journal, and then mindfulness and then exercise. If that works for you, amazing. I want to be that person. Yes. <laughs> but I'm not a morning person or an evening person. I'm a kind of get stuff done in the middle of the day person, hopefully. So <laughs> your routines fit your life with the coping skills that work for you. But please, if you're experiencing stress, anxiety or panic, try to make sure that a breathing exercise is at the top of the list. And when it doesn't work straight away, don't think that that's because it's never going to work for you. Remember the fight or flight response has been around for thousands of years, maybe millions. Mm -hmm. So when you start breathing, your brain is going to go, Hey, so there's a tiger at the door right now. And you're wanting to what? breathe your way through this situation yeah right I'm going to send you back into the fight or flight and I think it's really important as well that you've identified that actually this is really trying to keep you safe isn't it it's not there to make things worse for you it's your (laughs) brain judging the environment around you and perceiving threat that's actually a very intelligent body yes yeah that's how we're alive it's amazing it's just that for a lot of us we see threat where it isn't our brain scans the environment four times a second for any change I mean that is wild so for a lot of people as well having this kind of coping statement of I am physically safe I am safe I am safe is really helpful And the final thing I'd add to that is this really amazing equation for anxiety. If we were to draw it out, it would look like anxiety equals, and then it would say estimation of threat with a line below it. So, you know, as a fraction and below that, I would say estimation of coping resources. So in other words, anxiety arises when we either overestimate the threat we're in and underestimate our ability to cope or when we think the threat outweighs our ability to cope. So whether you're in actual danger or whether you're over predicting threat, the solution is always make sure you have a plethora of coping skills, a bucket full of coping skills so that you know, even if the worst thing was to happen one day, you would find a way through it. Yeah, I was told by a therapist to kind of have a a note on my phone of things that I've proved and overcome to remind myself things but also just little reminders what you can do in that moment to know that you Mm -hmm. can manage it and if you can't think about it at least if you know just Mm -hmm. look at your phone it allows you in that moment whether you are having a panic attack or you just are really highly anxious it's yes have have something physical to look at and remind yourself that you are safe yeah, 100%. I used to have on my screen 54321. So it's a grounding technique that helps you look outside of your body to find safety. So name five things that you can see and you have to actually say them. Four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you could taste. 
And I just have that on my screen as my screensaver. And if I started to feel really overwhelmed, I'd just look at it and I'd just do that action. And it meant I didn't have to rely on my thinking skills during times of stress to calm myself down. Yeah, because as you say, your cognitive abilities are, well, they become non-existent really, don't they, in those times of highly elevated... Yeah, they're singularly focused <laughs> yeah. on getting you out of danger. Yeah, yes. exactly. So my last question to you is about seeking... I don't want to say treatment because I don't want to pathologize anxiety, but if we are feeling completely overwhelmed and actually debilitated by whatever personal anxiety response you are having, at what point do we seek help? And could you, in answering this question briefly, I know it's a big ask, touch on the different models that clinicians might use? Okay, so I would say see help or support if you ever feel like your emotional well-being is disrupting your life okay yeah so if the anxiety is keeping you awake at night for a long period of time if you're having panic attacks and they're ongoing or you're feeling like you're losing your mind which was me at 18 that is the time to seek support go to your gp so go to your family doctor tell them what you're going through now, when you go that route, they will be thinking from what we call the medical model. So they'll be thinking about emotional health from a medical position. Now, within that, they normally, at first, first report, they might do what they call watchful waiting. So they'll give you information about anxiety and say, do these things, understand that you're experiencing anxiety for these reasons, go away and come back in a certain amount of time and we'll see if it changes. If the anxiety is considered to be higher level, than that so still kind of more like moderate anxiety they might recommend that you are referred to a psychoeducation group they might decide to refer you to cbt cognitive behavioral therapy so nice guidelines is standards in the uk by which doctors have to follow and cbt is the recommended treatment for anxiety or they might offer medication they might tell you about three different anxiety disorders such as social anxiety Panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. So panic disorder consists of having panic attacks. Generalized anxiety is where the anxiety feels like it's kind of filling your life. There's worry everywhere and it's been going on for six months. I have to say I don't work in these models. I don't use the word disorder really ever. I know people who do and I know people who find it incredibly useful. The reason I don't use it is because we stop asking what's happening for you and what's happened to you to cause this distress and we start asking what's wrong with you and often anxiety and distress arises when the world is anxiety provoking and distressing so i'm more interested in the cause and how we work with that cause and how we help educate you to manage your anxiety rather than what disorder you have and what medication we can give you now i do think medication can be extremely useful so for example if you're having such bad anxiety that you can't get to therapy Medication can be the exact thing you need to take the edge off to make you feel calm enough to do the tools and the experiences and skills that you need that will help move past anxiety. Also, some people just find medication really works for them. So it's very, very personal what you want. But I have to say, in my mind, learning the skills to manage anxiety will always be an important route to manage anxiety because remember anxiety happens when we overestimate threat and we underestimate our coping resources but therapy isn't accessible to everyone i realize that so find yourself really good breathing skills mindfulness exercises people you can share with 
a good exercise routine and really educate yourself on what anxiety is. Thank you so much. Those are so helpful. I have genuinely loved chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so, so grateful. I will direct people to your Instagram and your website. Is that the best place for people to check out your work? Yeah, drsoph.com, drsoph.com. And I can't believe I'm going to do a shameless plug. But if you want to know more about your mental health and all the stuff that was missing from our education around what it is to be human, please pre-order my book, A Manual for Being Human, that is out this year. (laughs) It is there for you. I'm going to order it. It sounds so incredible. Congratulations. And thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you for having me on. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's conversation with Dr. Sophie Mort. I hope you were able to take away some advice or learn something new about anxiety, the way our bodies respond and how best to manage it. If you'd like to see more about her work, please do follow her on Instagram at DrSoph and there you'll find links to her website as well as how to pre-order her book. If you did enjoy the episode and want to keep up with Psych Summaries, please do subscribe and follow the account at Psych Summaries on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time.